Hi, I'm Pastor Adam, and you're listening to the Orange United Methodist Sermon Podcast. We're a church in Chapel Hill, North Carolina, that wants to help you find your place in God's story. And we hope this sermon can guide you along that journey. Visit orangemethodist.org to find out more information about location, service times, upcoming events, and ways to give. We hope you enjoy. Today's scripture comes from two different passages. The first is Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 4. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Our second passage from the day comes from the book of John, chapter 3, verses 1 through 17. Now there was a Pharisee named Nicodemus, a leader of the Jews. He came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with that person. Jesus answered him, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God without being born from above. Nicodemus said to him, How can anyone be born after growing old, after having grown old? Can one enter a second time into the mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the Spirit. What is born of the flesh is flesh, and what is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not be astonished that I said to you, you must be born from above. The wind blows where it chooses and you hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? Jesus answered him, are you the teacher of Israel and yet you do not understand these things? Very truly I tell you, we speak of what we know and testify to what we have seen. Yet you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you about earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you about heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except the one who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And just as Moses lifted up the servant in the wilderness, so much the Son of Man be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, so that everyone who believes in him may not perish, but may have eternal life. Indeed, God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Good morning once again. I'm Pastor Corey, and Pastor Adam is actually away this weekend on a retreat. We are continuing in our sermon series, Seeking. We are asking questions this Lent, but I just want to assure you that before we dive in, I'm, I'm not going to bring up last night, okay? Out of respect for you all, uh, after last season... I would never dream of mentioning what transpired here in Chapel Hill 
last night. I just want to do that to you. So I'm not going to talk about it anymore. Let us pray. Why do we settle, O God, for only being born once or even twice, as if the world never changes? As if everything is just fine the way it is and we have no need for new life, new encounters with you, new promptings of your spirit and new awakenings in our souls. Why do we turn your invitation into a mark of our own achievements? As if your life is anything other than an extravagant gift. As if the glimpses of your reign that we receive are earned or deserved or make us somehow better than ourselves. We praise you for the shocking, miraculous truth, God, that we can always be, that we need to always be born again. That daily you welcome us into a surprising new life, the wonderful, creative, unpredictable world of your spirit. And then all we can do is allow ourselves to be pushed and birthed by your grace into new experiences of your reign. Here we are, O oh God. Let us be. Once more in this moment, in this place, born yet again. Amen. Amen. Now, there is a moment or moments in our lives that change everything, that ask something new, something different of us. And perhaps it was something expected, perhaps it was unexpected, something hard, something scary. Maybe it was even easy. But a moment that forced us to leave behind an old way of being in the world. To leave behind the old and take on the new. What comes to mind first for you? What is that moment in your life that jumps out as distinct, definitive? A moment where there is no going back to the way things were or are. I know for me there's not just one moment but many moments. I think about my decision to go to graduate school, to move to a new, new place with no connections, with no idea of how things would unfold or where I'd end up. Or I think about the moment I found out I was expecting my son Ephraim, and no matter what, this new identity, Ephraim's mom, nothing would ever be the same. There are so many other moments that I can think of, and some that terrified me, and some that challenged me differently, but I think each moment of change or transition, whether desired or questioned, whether chosen or by circumstance, every shift in our identity has been an opportunity to become something new. But it's not the moment that causes the shift necessarily. It's not just the moment that causes the shift, but the journey that surrounds the moment. I think about my identity as a pastor. You know, when, when did I become a pastor? Was it the first time I preached or the first hospital visit I made? Was it when I was licensed or when I was officially ordained? Or am I still becoming a pastor? Or are both happening at the same time? Am I both being and becoming? I think we all are. All the time, both being and becoming. And I think it's this journey of becoming that Nicodemus' story invites us into, opens up to us today. It's this journey of gradual and constant transformation. 
It holds so much grace for us, so much grace that we can't even comprehend it fully. Being born again. Our minds, just as Nicodemus's, they struggle to understand exactly what that means. And it's an existential metaphor, so no wonder we struggle. It's not a recipe. It's not a step-by-step guide. And that's why Nicodemus is so confused, and that may be why we feel so, so confused sometimes in this path of discipleship. One of my favorite theologians, the Reverend Jan Richardson, she reflects on this metaphor. She says, birthing involves gestation and labor and the beginning of perpetual change. When we are born, we achieve a new state, but not a static one. And she continues, she says, physically, we don't enter the world as adults. Let the laboring women say hallelujah. (laughs) Likewise, with spiritual birth, the fact that we don't start out full formed in our faith ought to check any impulse we have to be overly judgmental, not only of ourselves, but of others on the journey. She says, I've seen parts of this passage used more as a bludgeon, believe, 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 or be condemned, rather than a doorway of invitation. A doorway of invitation. Jesus' conversation with Nicodemus about being born again is an invitation to enter into a lifetime of conversation and discernment with Jesus just as Nicodemus does. And we do this so that we might continually journey toward becoming more like Jesus. We're invited to begin and re-begin this conversation as often as we need to. There's no end to this invitation. Nicodemus, he's a Pharisee, which means he's powerful, he's male, he's righteous, He has everything one could want on the surface. He's probably like many of us. Yet when he encounters Jesus, he's unsettled. Something about this person calls his own life, his own understanding of the world into question. Nicodemus wonders if all the answers that he thought he had are suddenly answers that don't satisfy his soul or his peace or his purpose. We have to wonder, what was it exactly that led Nicodemus to pursue Jesus that night? And we can also ask ourselves, what about Jesus led us to pursue him? Perhaps we felt like Jesus pursued or is pursuing us, but for many, it was a searching for answers searching for answers on our own that left us unsatisfied. And for others, it's an experience of darkness. It's a walk, a journey through darkness or pain that uncovers a truth for ourselves that we simply don't have all the answers. And so, as I've mentioned, Nicodemus goes to Jesus and he goes in the dark. Now, this metaphor is intentional and it's strong all throughout John's gospel. The dark represents lostness. It represents a brokenness and it represents pain and suffering of a world engulfed in sin. Nicodemus goes to Jesus in the dark. He's embarrassed. He's probably scared. 
Afraid that he might be judged by his fellow Pharisees for even considering that he, Nicodemus, doesn't have all the answers. He's afraid of the ridicule he might receive from the other Pharisees if he doesn't approach Jesus with that same scorn and rebuke that they do. Their dialogue with Jesus isn't invitational. It's loaded with hostile questioning bent on making Jesus stumble. But Nicodemus comes to Jesus, and he does so respectfully. He acknowledges that the Pharisees, and he is one of them, they know there's more to Jesus. Of course, they can't say that, or they might risk losing some of their own power and authority. That might hit close to home. But Nicodemus says that he knows no one could do what you are doing unless they were sent by God, healing the sick, feeding the multitudes, teaching with such authority. No one could do this unless they were sent by God. And as Nicodemus offers these words to Jesus, Jesus tells Nicodemus that no one can see the kingdom of God without being born from above. Jesus is telling Nicodemus that there is something he's missing. And there is, because Nicodemus believes that Jesus may have been sent by God. But what he doesn't know is that Jesus is the very presence of God. Jesus is God incarnate. And so to help Nicodemus more fully understand this, Jesus enters this dialogue. He invites Nicodemus into a conversation, hoping to give Nicodemus a vision of what he cannot see. That Jesus is more than a rabbi or a healer. He is the savior of the world. And then Jesus famously reminds Nicodemus, of course the most famous Bible verse, he tells him that God did not create the world to condemn it through the keeping of records of rights and wrongs. That's what the law had become. Jesus tells Nicodemus that God so loved the world God so loved the world that God gave God's only son so that everyone who believes in him may not perish, but have eternal life. So that everyone and anyone who believes may not perish, but have eternal life. And while we may not fully understand the metaphor of being born again, Jesus doesn't make us guess or wonder what eternal life is. He tells us in John 17, 3, this is eternal life that they may know the only true God, Jesus, whom God has sent. That is eternal life. To know and live in dialogue with Jesus, to be in relationship with Jesus, this is eternal life. This is the promise. Relationship, journeying with Jesus. God so loved the world that we might meet and be born anew by love that we might have our very senses and our purpose transformed in such a way that we can never go back to the way things were, to the person we used to be. Might we fall short? Of course. Might we stumble? Certainly. But once love gets a hold of our hearts and we surrender to its authority and power, we are never the same. We are new creations. We have been born again. The famous author, C.S. Lewis, is a prolific theologian. 
most famous, famously wrote the Chronicles of Narnia, he identified as a Nicodemus. His own belief in Christ came on the heels of a conversation that lasted until 3 a.m. in the morning, throughout the dark of night with two Christians, Hugo Dyson and J.R.R. Tolkien. And after spending a lifetime studying and seeking answers while actively resisting God, Lewis reflected on his own encounter in 1929. He said, I gave in. I admitted that God was God and knelt and prayed perhaps that night, that night, the most dejected and reluctant convert in all England. In that conversation, he received an invitation to journey, to question, to explore, an invitation from Jesus to be in relationship with Jesus, with love itself. A love that is patient with us, that births us, that recreates us, that heals us, that transforms us and invites us to the active work of building God's kingdom in the world. To do the work of restoration in the world. And we may have to start this relationship anew every single day, but that's okay. Nicodemus, he walked away that night moved by Jesus' words. But the scripture doesn't tell us we get a response from him or an admission of belief. Well, we know this isn't the end of Nicodemus' story. Nicodemus reappears a few chapters later, still a Pharisee. And in the company of Pharisees, he reminds those around him that if someone is put on trial... That person must be able to speak before being judged. And the person they're talking about, of course, is Jesus. He's defending Jesus. Nicodemus is on a journey of becoming something new, all because of this conversation, this relationship he has begun with Jesus. And then we encounter him once more. Nicodemus is identified as one who assists Joseph of Arimathea, in ritualistically preparing Jesus' body for burial, as was the Jewish custom after his crucifixion. We never get a verbal or written testimony from Nicodemus, anything that convinces us firsthand that he was born again, that he understood exactly what Jesus meant that night. But what we do witness are Nicodemus' actions his compassion, a sense of love, a willingness to sacrifice one's own comfort and safety for the sake of another, all of which reflected Jesus' own mission and Jesus' own life. We witness transformation. Nicodemus put his reputation and status at risk, and he de defied his own community by rebuking them as Jesus was going to be put on trial and Nicodemus put his very life at risk in order to honor Jesus' body and offer him the dignity of being buried as a faithful Jew. Again, we don't get a perfect answer or a formula or a to-do list for what being born anew means. We'd like one so that we can figure out if we're doing all of this right. What we do witness in this story is that Jesus doesn't offer condemnation or judgment to Nicodemus. He only offers invitation, an invitation to a new way of being, an invitation to an eternal promise that we're called to live out here and now. 
as we partner with Jesus to build God's kingdom. I find it so interesting that Nicodemus meets Jesus a final time in John, not in the dark of night, but in the act of ritual. He returns to Jesus to meet Jesus in the sacredness of preparing his body for burial, honoring him and expressing his love in this very tangible, touching way. That's what scripture offers to us. This one who ponders with Jesus was it, what it means to be born again prepares Jesus' body for what he believes is burial after death. Unaware that he's actually preparing Jesus' body for resurrection. A new beginning. Again, we don't get all the answers, but we do get grace. Jesus' patience with us, Jesus' constant offer to us to begin again to become and be more like Jesus. That's the season of Lent. It's a journey, 40 days of conversation and discernment and invitation. And perhaps you feel that stirring within you this morning that you don't have all the answers. Or you're more and more convinced or reconvinced that there is one who does. And receiving that invitation today It'll leave us never the same. Encountering Jesus changes us. And just as Nicodemus met Jesus in the ritual, not entirely sure what the journey ahead would be, but showing up, we, perhaps unsure and discerning, have shown up. And we're invited to meet Jesus in the ritual, in the sacred this morning as we come forward for Holy Communion a sacrament that Jesus used to prepare his disciples for his death at the Last Supper, telling them, I will not always be here with you, but when I'm no longer here, remember me each time you partake of the bread and the cup. Actually, Jesus is not preparing us for his death in this meal, but rather he is inviting us to celebrate his resurrection each time we partake of it to be reminded of our own resurrection, our own rebirth, each time we receive these ordinary elements. Again, scripture never discloses if Nicodemus had a big aha moment, a clear, decisive experience about his decision to follow Jesus, but we know it happened. Not by his words, but by his actions. There are no other Pharisees or not even one of the 12 disciples who stay with Jesus after he's taken down from the cross. Nicodemus is there, faithful, no longer hidden by the cover of night. He is there receiving an invitation to be with Jesus. So may we be bold enough, humble enough to receive Jesus' invitation today to be and become in relationship. May we meet him at this table opening ourselves to the newness that is offered through his body and blood. Let us pray. Almighty God, why do we settle for only being born once or even twice, as if the world never changes, as if everything is just fine the way it is and we have no need for new life? new encounters with you, new promptings of your spirit, and new awakenings in our souls. 
Why do we turn your invitation into a mark of our own achievement as if your life is anything other than an extravagant gift? As if the glimpses of your reign that we receive are earned or deserved or make us somehow better than others. We praise you for the shocking, miraculous truth, God, that we can always be, that we need to always be born again. That daily you welcome us into a surprising new life, the wonderful, creative, unpredictable world of your spirit. And that all we can do is allow ourselves to be pushed, birthed by your grace into new experiences of your reign. Here we are, O oh God. Let us be once more in this moment, in this place, born yet again. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's sermon. Please join us again next week. In the meantime, you can find us online at orangemethodist.org.